0: Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. micah christensen welcome back to the show
1: i am really happy to be back this is one that i've wanted to talk to you about a long time get ready for some serious controversy my friend oh, Serious yeah. controversy.
0: i'm excited because we're getting out of spain i mean not spain spanish art's one of my favorite you know yeah groups watch your, of
1: artists, watch your but... words there careful
0: yeah
1: Okay. Today, we're going to talk about a debate thats uh, that's been raging for 500 years. Really? You and your listeners have a stake in, and you don't even know it, but you're going to know it by the end of the day. Okay? By oh, the end man. of this conversation, you're going to be pitted against one another. This is a wedge issue. I'm going to give you something other than American politics to argue about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. Yeah, we need a change. to
1: change. We're going to talk about... Two of the greatest artists in the history of Western art, Raphael and Titian, and that they represent, respectively, disegno and Colore. We're going to go into what those mean. But what I'm going to start off with is first a little material history, okay? So let's pull up our first image. This is a woman in profile, beautiful colors, right, and beautifully Gorgeous. painted. Um, this is not by, this is neither by Raphael nor Titian. <laughs> it's, <laughs> okay. by, um, it's, it's by an artist named Gerlandio. Dio. But there's a reason I'm bringing him up. And that's because you know, he wasn't that far off from either one of them. He was painting in the 1400s, the 15th century. And um, it, what we're dealing with here is this very, strange transitional period in the history of painting. Um, If you were a painter working in the 15th century and the 16th century, which is at the cusp of of modern art in many ways, where we're using modern materials, you were painting largely on wooden panels and your material that you're using uh, as your medium is largely tempura painting. Which is egg yolks, right? Mm-hmm. And you could the the artists who were using this these uh, the, these materials, they had the limitations of those materials. And what I want to do is set up here the difference between um, the period right before Titian and Raphael, and what they represented. So Titian and Raphael were largely the first artists to confidently use oil painting.
0: Hmm.
1: And that means that they were changing the way that paintings were materially made, right? And I wanted to show you this work as something that was an example of what came just before them, before we talk about what they do. So this is, there's a little bit of oil painting in this, but it's mostly tempura painting so how where do you tempura where's painting, the oil and where's the tempera you'll see it as we do a close up so there's a close up of an well before we go to the close up okay notice how strong the colors are this is one of the great benefits of tempera painting tempera is is like I said it's uh it's made of, uh, of of whatever pigment you have, whether you're working with lapis lazuli or you're working with ochre or with lead, and you're using as the medium that gets mixed into it egg yolk. And egg yolk is opaque. You can't layer it, really, right? Mm. So if you're going to do transitions from color to color, it means that you have to do Gradually different gradients of color into the next color in very small strokes in order to transition from one tone to the next. And it right? dries really because,
0: fast, I understand.
1: And it dries very fast. The strengths of tempura are the um the 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 solidity of that color, right? The what's that word? Saturation. Saturation of color is very good with tempura. But notice mm-hmm. how despite It being a beautiful woman, beautiful colors, beautiful and very clear portrait, not really a caricature. It is a little idealized. It is also very stiff. Mm -hmm. That's the nature of tempura, is that it's hard to get things that look fluid. So go to that that very first image in our lineup of the close-up of her eye. Hmm. So... You can see a little bit of layering in the hair. But for the most part, as you zoom in on this, it almost looks like pointillism.
0: Yeah, it does. I was wondering right? as I was and looking the at reason- the painting how, how he got it so smooth. But it just what it comes down to is just very tiny strokes, one next to the other, in order to create the illusion of a mm-hmm. smooth transition.
1: It is. And it's a very, it's, you know, that is in and of itself a really remarkable skill, right? <laughs> Ignore the crack of lore here, which is that separation of painting, which comes from age. This painting is in the Tyson Borna in um, in Madrid. It's one of the most famous paintings of dio who is himself, you know, really regarded as a great master. And you can see some places where there's layering, like those eyelashes are oil, because they've been dragged subtly over the other work. But Ghirlandaio was not very confident in, um, in in oil, so he only did it in touches. But if you look above her eyelid, mm-hmm. look at how, um, how min- the strokes are in a particular direction, mm-hmm. right? They kind of mimic the musculature or the bone structure. Yeah, and right they're here, very here. carefully um, He's got one color after another. That is an opaque color next to an opaque color, next to an opaque color. So if you are an artist who's working in in uh, in tempura painting in the era right before oil painting gets introduced, the skill set is one largely of drawing. Right? You've got to get your drawing down really, really well because your control of of the the thickness of line the de- the so density or 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 thinness of that line your control of how heavy um you you lay a color into one area darks and lights are really important with tempera painting right mm-hmm. and one of the last things you think about one of the last things you think about is color the mm-hmm. thing you think about most is line and that is called in in uh in italian disegno disegno is line right we think of generally design today as being just the skill of putting together something but disegno is basically a skill that comes out of this tempera painting it's one of let's carefully plan the whole thing out as a line drawing and then color comes afterwards
0: hmm. so it's almost like a paint by number
1: almost a paint by number and you know these guys would be leaning over their their panels that were meticulously um, smoothed and prepared. They would have a they would have a series of drawings that they would do before they would do the final painting, and they would probably even sometimes grid the the panel itself and make sure that it was laid down um, exactly in temper with and, and with the temper before they put any tempera down. They would usually have a line drawing graphite. Under, on the um, on the white um, s- surface of that panel, and then they would paint slowly the colors over it in tempura, um, and the painting would be built up, not like you'd build up an oil painting, because you usually have with an oil painting, a ground, and then you have areas that are certain colors that you want to pull out, right? Sometimes they would do that in tempura painting, but largely it was like, you know, you just kind of fill in a drawing, paint by number-wise, right?
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: And this meant that um, you're leaning over the the canvas with very small brushes. And and usually you have to have very good eyes or you have to have a magnifying glass that you're looking through as you're painting. But not canvas, That's the board, kind of work. right?
0: They're working on board, to be clear. Yeah. Okay. They're,
1: they're working on prepared. In Italy, they're working mostly on... Um, on, on a beach or pine panel have been um, covered in a gesso, which is like plaster
0: mm-hmm. that have been
1: sanded down um, so smooth that it was almost like porcelain, and they're painting into that gesso, and the tempera gets um, gets sucked into that. So this is what is happening at the end of or the middle of the fourteen hundreds, and then. Oil painting gets introduced to the Italians. The, the Northern Europe had oil, but there's not a whole lot of communication going on between Northern Europe and Italy. And Italy is really, for all intents and purposes, the center of the art world. For the, It's where the Renaissance is happening. It's where the money is. It's where big projects are happening. So the next image I want you to pull up is the crucifixion scene. So, this is one of the earliest paintings ever done by Raphael. Raphael is maybe the most copied artist in the history of art. More books have been written on Raphael than probably all of nineteenth or eighteenth century art combined. More art theories has been done about him, more more paintings have been copied, like I said. He is probably the most influential artist, whether or not you know have know him directly or not, in the history of Western art. Mm. And he died at the age of thirty seven. Mm, ouch! So he's born in yeah very young age. He was born in Urbino, and you have to think of Italy as being multiple kingdoms. It's not unified until the eighteen seventies. So he's living there, he's born in 1483, and he's born in this very small kingdom of Urbino. And Urbino is, um, it's, it's, uh, it's wealthy, but it's not one of the big powerhouses. The big powerhouses at the time are um, are Naples, Rome, Venice, Genoa. They're the ones who really have their own armies, they have a lot more land, they have a lot more wealth. But there are a few places like Urbino, where he came from, that have uh influenced because of the artistry that's coming from there. And the artistry that was coming from Urbino was largely ceramics. And his father was a decorator of plates, like beautiful oh. plates. We're not talking like the kind you'd eat off of. We're talking about... Um, things that are worth millions of dollars today. If you go to places like the Wallace Collection or the Metropolitan Museum or the Frick, you can see some of these these plates that his fathers and father and others were doing. And and Raphael takes a liking to painting. He starts working with um, with an artist named Perugino who is um, uh, who does work that is almost exactly like this. And Raphael's copying. Um, this is. I wanted to show this because he's wor- working in in uh, oil mostly. There's a little bit of temper in here, but something you immediately notice that's different than the way, work we were just looking at is just notice. There's a the transition in the skin tones of the body of Christ mm-hmm. on the cross.
0: Just right? soft and subtle.
1: It's soft. It's very soft. This is kind of the first generation of oil painters. However, even though it's soft and you see a little bit of the influence of that being soft transitions of, of, uh, of, of those skin tones, overall, the painting, to our modern eyes, looks extremely formulaic. Even notice, look at the hair, by the way. And, and we've gotta be careful when we look at some of these images by, by today's standards not only because they had a different way of looking at them, but also because these paintings have aged, and oil paint thins over time. Um, it gets it, So this is not exactly what it looked like. His skin would have looked a lot more vital. It's been, not to play too much on words, but the painting has been skinned, which means that it's been over-cleaned. Uh. So you've lost some of the top layers of those paint just through it being an old painting that... You know, over fifty every 50 to 100 years, a painting usually gets cleaned. And they were really aggressive in the 18th and 19th and early 20th centuries, sometimes just taking soap and horsehair brushes and just going over them and then repainting whatever they had problems with.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, we're, we're, so we may not be seeing – we may be seeing only 30 to 40 percent of Raphael here, right? Not really? the whole Raphael. Yeah, but wow. back up, back up on the painting and I'll show you something that I think is interesting to think about. He was hugely influenced by a generation of artists who were painting in books, illuminated manuscripts. So look at some of the designs, those ribbons that are coming off the angels, the angels on the other side, the fact that if you cut it right down the center, it's almost a uh it's almost like a, a a a copy of it. It's like it's it's exactly yeah the word i'm looking for right like it's a totally symmetrical Uh, symmetrical that's the word i was looking for and all the figures are pretty much not sitting in realistic space they're in this space right under the cross they're within the same like four feet right Mm
0: -hmm. it's all
1: symbolic it's not actual physical space we're seeing there is a real attempt with the landscape which is i think actually quite poetic a beautiful little landscape of you get the and this is actually how scientifically light works if you look at a landscape light goes brown in the foreground because those are short wave light green in the middle ground because that's kind of middle grade light and then blue in the distance because that's what long wave looks like on this on the light spectrum so if you're ever standing on top of a mountain and you look out that's what light looks like the things closer to you look browner things in the middle look greener and the things in the distant look bluer And they knew that even though they didn't know the science about it. And so when they're doing a landscape, he's creating perspective in a very little amount of space just through color. But see how he's transitioning the color. It's not using um, uh, tempura. Or else he wouldn't be able to get such smooth transitions from the brown to the yellow, green, blue. This is kind of the beginnings of what you see with... With, uh, with this early era is it's a mix of stiffness and formulaic painting and a mix of, of, of smooth lifelike transition, observation of how real life works. Raphael starts to develop this vocabulary of how he's doing things. And one of the things that you can see here that exists in later Raphael, is notice his use of color in the composition. This has influenced all artists since. This is what he became really known for. If you follow the reds around the canvas, that crimson, it pulls you throughout the canvas. If you follow the greens, it follows you. You can pull it through the canvas. It's almost like, and it's not, that is not book leaf. That's not symmetrical every time. He's doing deliberate, subtle, compositional choices. We'll see better examples of it later. But I mean, here he's in his teens when he's painting. Right? And this is a big piece. It's something like eight or nine feet high. And he's doing, I think it may be even taller than that. And he's doing these these things that are little tiny beautiful moments, like for instance, you know, look at those angels. They're symmetrical. But the ribbons aren't the same shape or size. They're both standing on tiny little clouds. They're the folds in their clothing. They're little subtle transitions. Even as a little kid, I want to say he's not really a little kid. He's a teenager, which basically is like probably being in our 30s or 40s by their lifetime. Standards.
0: Yeah, seriously.
1: <laughs> not exactly. But he's he's making very um subtle choices compositionally that we'll see play out later um hmm. I, want to, I want to move you to the next painting and then we'll i'll, I'll ask you some questions i'm just setting this up at the well, beginning well i this want to ask design. one question is...
0: before you move on we move yeah, on and maybe you can comment on this but it almost feels like he's working in a primary palette which is primary green primary red primary blue and yellow it's very simple this is
1: this yeah, this is this is a really important um, point. I'm glad you brought this up. So there are only about 30 colors that they can work with at this point. And that's true up until the um, the first artificial or chemically created color that's different than those is Prussian blue that's created in the mid-1700s, early 1700s. And so everybody's using the same palette but the quality of the color has to do with how wealthy your patron is so you've got out of those 30 colors you've got about eight or eight to 12 minerals that you can work with and those minerals are super expensive so lapis lazuli which they call um ultramarine comes from afghanistan at their time and it's largely controlled by venice and it costs more money than gold does and if you can't afford lapis lazuli you use cobalt which comes from iran which is not as expensive but is still expensive and if you can't use cobalt you use aquamarine which comes from copper and it's a greenish blue and then the lowest of low colors is smalt which is this really weird um deriva- der- derivative blue color so you've only got like four or five blues that you can use and when you would um commission a painting let's say i came to you jeff um i would go to the local guild of artists and i'd say um i uh, i want to commission a portrait of my wife standing at the foot of the cross and i want jeff Hine to do it and i want it to be 50% done by him and 50% to be done by his journeyman. So I get a bit of a discount on it. I want Jeff to come in and finish the faces and the hands. Um, but I don't want to pay for him full time to do it. Because that's a little too pricey. It's good enough that I get I get his his assistance. And I I, I want to go full Lapis Lazuli. That's how I'm gonna spend my money on this. So hmm. I'm gonna dictate that I want I want the robes done in Lapis Lazuli. Um, and I, or I want them done in this copper green, or I want them to be done in this this uh, this this color. And and as a result, because I'm paying for the pigments outright, you're going to give me an undiluted version of that pigment oh, in the painting, interesting. right? Because I am paying, damn it! I'm not gonna. You're not gonna water down that lapis lazuli, right? You're not gonna water down that green because I paid for that to be done that way, right? Huh. So, it is it, it, where where Raphael is working in his early years. He has the medium expensive colors, and most of his career, even though he starts in Urbino, goes to Florence, then ends up in Rome working directly for the Pope. He never has access to the best colors. These are kind of like the just above the cheap colors that he's using.
0: Right, right. Okay, the next painting the is next what started.
1: Okay, so this is actually bacchus and ariadne let me tell you what's going on in this painting it's by titian and um can we zoom in or like make it well this fills the screen pretty much doesn't it
0: yeah it does um, if there's a particular area there. you want me to look at let me know
1: yeah i will let's keep it general for right now titian comes from the north of italy in um, near venice near venice and um he becomes the king of venice and its painting Venice controls most of the Adriatic Sea, a huge uh, amount of trade um, uh, on the ocean. And therefore, he's they're able to get, through trade routes, the best colors. Titian has access to the best colors that any artist could possibly have at the time. And he uses them to maximum effect. Uh-huh. Um, and he, he he's lavish in his use of color. This painting depicts the moment that Ariadne um, gets dropped off on the island where Bacchus, the god of wine, and his revelers, his party goers, are all um, are all living. And uh, I believe it's Jason from Jason and the Argonauts. She's supposed she she's supposed to be wedded to him. No, 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 no. It's Theseus. Theseus is the one who, or Theseus is the one who leaves her. On the uh, on the island for a time, promising he'll come back, but Bacchus Caesar, she's mortal, um, falls in love with her when the moment he sees her. He jumps from his chariot. That's what he's doing in midair. Oh, and, I see that now. Yeah, his, his revelers are coming with him, and they have fun. And in the end, she gets quartered and killed and eaten by <laughs> by the animals on the island. It's a really ugly death. However. If you're Titian and you're living in a world where most of the work that had been done right before you was very carefully painted, um, linear drawings, essentially, in tempura and everything's very stiff, you have just blown the minds of everybody if you see a leaping figure in a painting and it looks somewhat realistic, Right. The motion in this painting is the thing that would have blown everybody's minds when they saw it. It would have been like seeing, when I was a kid, Jurassic Park CGI dinosaur for the first time. And the difference between the claymation dinosaur that was stop motion and seeing a dinosaur that looked real that was AI-generated, or like computer-generated, that is. It would have... AI is a whole other thing. That'll, yeah. that'll be another level of <laughs> mind blowing, right? So what he's able to do with oil that, no one, that, that, that really blows the minds of everyone is this sense of real motion and movement. That's very different than what Raphael is doing. Raphael is doing transitions in skin tone, color, landscape, and, and he's thinking of color in really interesting compositional ways. Titian is thinking of movement and motion. He is what, and he's thinking of color um, that is eye popping um, in almost every in, in almost every way. You can see that the the um that we're not seeing the full painting, by the way, as it originally was. You see all that brown that's in that figure in the ground, and also the brown that's in the trees mm-hmm. in the far top right. Mm-hmm. They would have looked much richer. The problem is, is that When these paints were originally put on the canvas, he was using some earth and vegetable colors that weren't fully saturated in the oil. So they became oxygenated and just went brown over time. Oh, bummer. Almost like rust. Like they almost rusted over time, those colors. So it's not entirely fair. But you can see enough to see that Titian um, is doing some really interesting – like. Look at the leg of that woman who has the lapis lazuli skirt. Look at how beautiful the 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 transition and observation from life is uh-huh. of what musculature looks like, and 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 how he's really managing with with. Look at the warmth in the kneecap and the toes. Okay, so I wanna and the same I wanna thing ask with,
0: you one thing here. So I'm a little confused about something. Maybe you could expound on it a little bit more. Why is the medium of egg tempera the thing that made it difficult to create motion? I'm not really making that connection. Because I can a, see why I can see why you're not it would make it difficult to render form. But I'm not. I don't understand the connection between between the medium and drawing a figure in motion.
1: It's it's a good question. I think that it, you know, I don't know if you if you've ever seen somebody's drawings and then you see their paintings, and their paintings look stiff, mm-hmm. but their drawings look full of life. Mm-hmm. Tempura has the general effect of making everything look even stiffer than that in that transition.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And so
1: I think artists were aware of that and they attempted less. Oh, they tend to make more posed images in tempera, right? Because they just realized there was a certain futility in attempting to take a really lifelike moment and try and put it into tempera because very few people were able to do it successfully. So they tamped down their, their attempts to do it and the moment they had oil and there was more fluidity to it i think that they became more brazen in their attempts Uh, not that it wasn't possible
0: i understand not that it
1: wasn't possible but it became more possible that's my art historical explanation but i also think it was definitely a
0: taste so they so they were just happy you're suggesting an artist might have just been happy to get a well-rendered face with egg tempera mm-hmm. because it was much more of a stubborn difficult medium but then when they were presented with a much more forgiving medium then they're like oh well now i now that the now it's so much easier to paint now i'm going to try much more difficult subjects yeah is that what you're suggesting
1: I, and, and yes yeah, so i'll give you a comparison so i was um i was looking at um I was watching an interview with the guy who was behind the hair in Disney's movie Tangled which is Rapunzel and her hair that um we, they they first proposed and they were doing it in drawings that her hair have all of these abilities to do motion and the computer people said we can't do that you're going to have to get rid of the hair
0: and they're like no no
1: no no this is tangled like her hair's got to be fluid and dance and move and it's got to be able to break down into individual strands and they they had re- a relationship with the people at pixar even though it's mostly a disney film there was a relationship with them and the the guy that they interviewed said basically the difference between the computers they used to make toy story to the ones that they helped to model the hair and control the behavior of the hair entangled was the difference of a thousand times the computer power and so they had to get rid of in they wouldn't have been able to do it in the first movie. They they had to like simplify forms in in the movie, um, in the in the early Pixar films and in Toy Story. And that's why it helped to have them be toys. They didn't have skin tone translation to transitions, they didn't have webs between fingers, they didn't, they didn't have to deal with any of that stuff, right? They didn't have to deal with hair, it was all solid. But then the moment they moved into something like human hair, they had to have, they, they couldn't have made that choice. I think oil had a very similar transition is that like look at, for instance, if at, we're zeroed in here and you're looking at Bacchus jumping out of that chariot and you can see that his right leg is, is really like full on straight in front of us in the foreground but then look at the distance that he is, is willing to take that 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 back left left leg right and the what's the word i'm looking for it's um perspective oh um, yeah That it's, it's it there's a there's foreshortening the foreshortening that he's willing to do there would not have really been attempted by a uh, by a tempera painter Mm -hmm. um and and part of it is is look at how how he's able in that darkness to have a lot of those skin tones still come out with the layers of oil paint that he would have been hard to do in tempura an opaque color set you know an opaque you know it's it's something that's hard to that's really hard to describe i think unless you do look at the difference between like just pull up this painting and the Gearland dio of that woman right next to one another okay that we had of her portrait they're not the best comparison side by side but they're good they're good enough
0: those are really too big to put side by side that's a bummer so i'm just going to go that's all right because because uh, we can't put them side by side let me just go back and forth so we got this one okay, okay. and then this one
1: i mean just just look at the difference in transition and skin tones in just the Bacchus figure versus this woman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The it's there's there's no question that Girlandio, who's doing this portrait, has a great deal of skill. But he's essentially working with a tiny brush going one color transition to the next. Whereas Titian, and this is what makes Titian, and we're gonna talk about it a little more. Titian is not really a draftsman when it comes to drawing, unlike um, uh, uh, um, Raphael. He usually really? does very little drawing. He does little, some outlines in charcoal directly onto the canvas and then starts painting and building up the paints as he goes. And he's the first artist to really do this. And it becomes a distinct venetian northern italian way of painting of instead of doing meticulous drawings and then transferring them onto canvas and then painting the colors titian goes directly onto the canvas in fact one of titian's first things and i didn't show this as a painting because we just talked forever about these two titian is credited as being the first artist to use canvas in the first place Everybody in the in his world is using um, uh, to do small paintings panel work, but if they're doing large paintings, they're doing frescoes. They're painting into plaster, and he's commissioned to do a painting on a wall of the Academia of of the uh, of the Virgin Mary as a young girl climbing some stairs. It's about I think fourteen feet long. And oil doesn't work in uh, in in, uh, in in the fresco painting world, and that's his skill set. So what he does is he goes to sailmakers in the port of Venice, and he says, "I think I can paint directly onto a sail." So he invented so this make method. Make... Yeah, yeah. And so he says, "What I want you to do is I want to to." Uh, to weave me a, a sail that's such, such a size, and then we'll stretch it on wood. And then I'm going to be able to build up my oil paints in a way that I could never do in uh, fresco painting, because fresco painting is almost exactly like tempura painting. You have to use opaque, solid colors, right? But he wants to build up the layers to get those transitions. So almost all of Titian's paintings are on canvas and he changes the world by instead of doing drawing on paper or leather, vellum, whatever it is you're working on, and then moving on to a panel where you're you're doing the drawing and then doing almost color by number, paint by number, he's the first one to say, no, I'm just going to do light drawing on the canvas and then we're going to build up the oil paint and get there that way. That's how we're going to do it. And that's how this painting was made.
0: So when you say that he wasn't a draftsman, what you mean is that he wasn't one that was likely to work in dry media.
1: That's right. We have very few drawings by Titian. Most of them are of landscapes. Okay. Um, and, um, and, um, And we, he was, but we can see almost always how he drew because of what we can see underneath his paintings, either Mm -hmm. through some kind of radiography. Um, I mean, and and there are a couple that I'm going to, I'll give you a really good example of it in a moment. But what I'm setting up here is this controversial debate. So the history of of the art that is largely with us today when you're doing figurative Mm -hmm. art in particular, is one that came from Raphael in his school of art, right? Raphael goes from Urbino, where he's doing that first painting that, that I showed you, to going to Florence, where he gets hugely influenced by da Vinci. And da Vinci's a big draftsman, right? He's drawing everything, getting it perfect on paper, and then he's building up the canvas um, in, in uh, doing drawing, color studies, and then combination of drawing and color study to the final piece. That's how it gets taught in the academy throughout all of Europe from then on, right? It's you go to France and you study the Col de Beaux-Arts and you are and you're, um, all the way up to John Singer Sargent. John Singer Sargent may not be the best example of this, but a lot of these academic artists that we love so much in the 19th century, they learned the designio approach they are the ones who they plan out something on paper in a, in a, in, as a line drawing and then build color into it later. Right? Okay, let me plant a usually... seed for you real
0: quick. Just in case, just in case um, we're going in two different directions, I just want to plant this seed in your mind. And also yeah. I want to ask those who are listening to comment on this because I might be unique in this. I don't think so, but I might be. I think of draftsmanship as completely separate from the medium. Draftsmanship is the ability to create accurate proportion. So whether you're in paint or you're in graphite or you're in charcoal, a good draftsman is one who draws accurately or one who creates accurate proportion. And a poor draftsman is one who is unable to. So that's that way I perceive draftsmanship. And again, if those who are listening, I'd be interested okay, in your I thoughts. Think, so I just I want to plant that's... that seed.
1: Yeah, and I don't think you're not incorrect. I mean it in the classical use of the term designio. Okay. Um, designio was um, you meticulously plan everything. It's usually idealized. It's not from nature. It's composed from your um, you you're composing it from your mind first. And coming up with the idea, we call this a Platonic view of art—that everything comes from an ideal, perfect version of of the world. That's the designio version, and the way that you're uh, um, that you're creating the world. And maybe I'm using the world dra- the word draftsmanship from an earlier era, and you're using it from the current era. This is kind of how Kishin and and um, And Raphael would have used it. But disegno is probably the best. If we just stuck with the Italian, it's even better, right? Disegno is idealized um, form, idealized composition, not from nature, and done in a way that starts with drawing and first and then adding in color later. Colore, which is the world Titian comes from, is ob- observed from nature, from real life, using models, using nature as you see it, and building things up with color in an almost extemporaneous way. I mean, they weren't improving, They had an idea of where they were going, but they, they were building it up on the canvas with a lot less preparatory work than was done in the other world. And the results are that in Titian, you usually get more emphasis on color, on motion, and on uh, observable nature. Look at just the the musculature and skin of the figures that are around Bacchus in this painting,
0: uh-huh.
1: right? Look at how he's, It's and look at the trees and, and how it's built up. Yes, it's not exactly how the world, this isn't what a group of people walking around looks like, right? I mean, it's all exaggerated. That's not what two cheetahs, there were no two cheetahs hanging out tied to a chariot in his world. There's a lot of fanciful dream work going on here. In fact, I would challenge people who are looking at this painting, um, this is where I have to back off on some of the things I've said. If you tried to adopt that pose of Ariadne on the far left, putting your your, uh, right hand forward your head turned to the side, your other hand behind your waist, your right leg behind you. That is not a natural position of that woman on the far left. He's Uh starting to look at Greco-Roman sculptures. But compositionally, it works perfectly. And we also know that he added in that red, controversially, around her in order to make her stick out from the blue on that left-hand side. And the reason it was controversial is because he had to cover up lapis lazuli expensive pigment with a cheaper red pigment to do it. But he decided that compositionally it needed it to make her figure stand out from the blue ocean and the blue sky. So he's not observing from nature in the way that we would think of it. I want to skip to... We're going to get more into this as we look at other paints. Go to a drawing. Any one of these drawings. These are all Raphael. What do you think as a... As a uh, someone who regularly draws and paints the human figure about Raphael?
0: Well, I want to pull up He's this in drawing. 20s here. Because this drawing is the one oh. I, I pulled up earlier before we started recording, and I was just like, Lord, this drawing... What
1: floor, which part of it floors you, what floors you about it?
0: The movement, the elegance in the line work, the, uh, editing in, in that he, he puts focus in certain areas and lets other areas sort of disappear. Um, puts and you know, he refines particular edges, leaves other edges, softer and lighter it's just it's just i don't know how else to describe it it's just beautiful and the whole composition of all these figures together is just exquisite to me
1: it's beautiful isn't it yeah I mean, look at the kneeling woman it's one of my favorites that that is of this era right. um that he does the drawing of the of the woman who's who's uh it's it's just such a beautiful line paper was very oh, expensive yeah. at this time you would often reuse the same sheet or draw multiple times on the same sheet. So you can see some erasure on it. You can see a close-up of her hand. Um, mm-hmm. he, he learns through observing mostly Leonardo and people of his time that were working in Florence. That's when he's doing these drawings. And it was later summarized by Vasari that um, the way that these Florentine artists thought about art was... Um, You don't want to draw the hand that you see. You want to draw the perfect hand. And if you, um, and and this is something that you do as a teacher all the time, is you usually get simplified forms that are casts, right, of of sculptures that have simplified in beautiful ways those forms. That is a Florentine idea. I'll, I'll give you an example in real life years ago i was in the studio of arnold freeberg arnold freeberg studied at the art students league of new york and um was just a generation below norman rockwell and um uh, and he knew norman rockwell and uh he also had done saturday evening post and life and boys life covers arnold freeberg had and i remember i went into his studio he must have been 92 at the time and i was in my mid-20s and he had this reindeer that was had a, a Christmas wreath on it that had been a cover of a Life magazine, and it was the original oil. And I said, "Oh, Arnold, that looks just like a Norman Rockwell." I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> the moment I said it, the moment I said that, his face went red and he got angry, and his voice got got louder, and he said. Norman Rockwell would have picked any damn reindeer. I picked the best left antler from one reindeer, the best right antler from another reindeer, the best left eye from one reindeer, the best right eye from another reindeer, the best nose, the best fur, the best this. It was a composite of 20 reindeer in his mind. Whereas Norman Rockwell was too lazy to pick um all the best elements, and would paint a a, a a a a subpar single reindeer.
0: This was his perspective to clarify, because I don't know that this, I agree this with was that. His but pers- okay, this was his perspective.
1: Okay. No, I don't agree with it either. But it, but this but the, his perspective illustrates how Raphael's world saw Titian's world. Ah. Raphael's world was disegno. Disegno was about idealized perfection before you even put anything on the canvas, every line, every emphasis, everything was perfect. Then when you go to the canvas, you make everything idealized and beautiful, right And it's just you don't even show your strokes. You want to work on panel and you want to you're using a brush and by the way, they only had round brushes. Because that metal ferrule that goes on brushes today that allows you to crimp and make something square didn't exist until the 19th or the late 18th century. So there's still 300 years before that. What they do is they paint with these round brushes and then they go back over it with a rabbit fur brush, which gets rid of all signs of a stroke. It's perfect, right? It's porcelain. So if you go to the painting of the of the triangle, I'll show you what his painting ends up looking like that becomes the most influential. This is him at his prime. Raphael at his prime. This is the, the most influential style in the history of art in the world, right? I am showing you right now the basis for almost all Western art in academies. And that is triangles is a composition the most important figure in the brightest light all their gestures leading around clearly and aligned towards one another i mean look look at look at so this is mary mag this is mary the madonna the mother of christ christ if you follow her eye she's looking at john the baptist who's kneeling in front and then he's looking at christ All of that is kind of a circular motion of gesture, right? Even look at the hands and the arms. Look at how her shoulder leads down the sleeve, almost touching John the Baptist. Then you go down John the Baptist, and you take his arm and his right arm then leads up towards Christ, and the staff is leaning. You see her foot is the end of one part of the triangle, and John Mm -hmm. the Baptist, the child's foot, is the other side of the isosceles triangle. You see that Christ is in the center, and he's the brightest of all the figures. You you see that um, her face, if we just take her face, idealized face, that's not a real face or nose, right? But you see exactly where her head is turned because of the way that her hair is parted. It goes down yeah. into her nose, which then goes down to her chin, which has a tiny divot in it. You know where her sternum is because of that little de- gold decorative um demi that's on the, the the part of her chest there are all kinds of very carefully planned decorative compositional moments you know where her shoulders are because of where the, the 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 sleeve line is you know where her where her her breasts end um and where her waist begins because of where that little line is of the thing that's not real clothing Right mm-hmm. It's all invented for composition's sake. This isn't really observable life in any way, right? It's idealized, but it's beautifully planned. I mean, it is planned so no matter where you go in the painting, it pulls you around. Mm. It kind of feels like basic version of of what we're used to now. this is the this is like what is the what are the early Lego blocks that they give little kids the that are the, the bigger versions of Legos. I don't you know remember. What I'm I know what it's you're like, talking about, though. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the the big Lincoln Log version that all of Western art is based on. You would go into any art school in the 19th century, 18th century, 17th century, and they would pull up Fael and they would say to you, look at how he's managed the relationships between the figures. Look at how he's... He's managed the colors in here to draw your eye around. This is early, mature Raphael, but go to the woman with the wheel and you'll see a later, more complicated version of it.
0: Let me ask you, where do you know where this painting is?
1: This one I think is in the National Gallery in London. Oh, Cause there's one- And almost, it's not big.
0: There's one almost just like oh, yeah, it were... in DC. I just saw it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There is, there's, there is one almost like it in D.C. Go to the one with the wagon wheel, and okay. there's, there's, there's so many versions of these, and they're copied. So it's two more over. Go two more over from that to your right. Yep, right there. This is Saint Catherine. She was killed on, um, on this. So you see how that there's a wagon wheel mm-hmm. underneath her left arm. Um, she was um, strapped to one of those, and um, and and tortured to death. And she becomes a symbol of of the wheel of fortune because sometimes you're at the height of the wheel and sometimes you're at the bottom of the wheel um, in life. And she kind of becomes the symbol of this. Mm. Notice how entirely invented her pose is. I mean, if you just try and do it, take your right arm and put it on your chest (laughs) and then turn your head in that direction but make your your uh, left true. leg no go in front like and that. Your right yeah. leg. <laughs> i
0: feel quite dainty though mm-hmm. when trying it yeah
1: but isn't it the most beautifully linear smooth serpentine use of the body and form it's mm-hmm. gorgeous right it's gorgeous and you see where all of her anatomy is because of the colors again the clothing is nonsense green sleeve um that beautiful furl of of the robe, the inside of the yellow that curves around her hip, that no clothing sits like that. Totally invented, idealized designio. This is designio at its height, right? I mean, it has nothing to do with the way the real world works. It's all beautiful, though, and it's something that artists tried to imitate, for the longest time Raphael probably the world goes into you know if you sorted western art education 90% of it is disegno 10% of it is colore and some of the artists who represent mm. colore over time are um, Rubens is colore um Delacroix is colore um you would even argue that Van Gogh is colore right it it's not about um it's about um it's it, it and we'll get to what Titian looks like but but and and we'll talk more about colore but if you think about designio who is designio Ang is designio Jerome is designio Bugaro is designio all of these artists who are forcing the human figure into idealized form that is is very pleasing but not really observable. They're pulling a hat trick, right? No one looks at this painting at first and thinks, oh, that's not how people stand. That's stupid. I hate it. No. I mean, they don't look at that. They look at it and they think, oh, that's beautiful, right? Caravaggio in his own twisted way is Dizeno. Because even though he's doing blood and guts, everything is beautifully planned and beautifully linear in the way that it's done. You know who isn't disegno Who's Colore? Is Rembrandt. Rembrandt oh, is Colore. And so you can see how the world gets divided into these figures of Raphael in some ways is continuing the tradition of of the best of tempura, right? It's, it's, it's very carefully planned linear drawing and all the strengths of, of that line tradition and design that creates idealized forms. If you put this next to the woman who has her, um, of the girl of the woman who has her, uh, who's sitting in profile, There's a lot of similarities in the way that lines are solid. They're firm all the way through it. However, Raphael also has beautiful skin transitions. Mm. And, I mean, you wouldn't think that Raphael's drawings look as free and observable from life. Those three men or those four men that we looked at, Mm -hmm. if you had to say that they're the same artist, you'd think, well, like... These are this is the same artist as the guy who just did this No, it this looks Saint more like Catherine in the wheel. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that brings I mean, up a, a question a, for me,
0: okay? Now, his process. I wonder if it is all invented 100% though. My my suspicion no, is No, it's an exaggeration. Yeah, my suspicion Damn. is that he did studies from life. And then worked yeah. from studies because you've seen many studies of him doing fabric like very elaborate fabric studies and so on and so forth mm-hmm. yeah. and uh my suspicion is he did that from life and then only worked from drawings from that point on and then and then yeah. would at that point would start to idealize there's two reasons i think that yeah. one is because the drawing evidence suggests that to me personally But two, because I tried a drawing from life or I tried a painting entirely from drawings many years ago. Don't even remember why I did it. I think it was just a personal challenge where I did all the drawings from observation and then it was a multi-figure painting with lots of figures and then I, I did the whole painting from the drawings and I found myself almost being forced to idealize because drawings are limited in their information and so i found myself having to kind of improvise a lot and the best way to improv improvise is to idealize you certainly don't want to improvise by making things look worse right you 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 id you yeah. improvise by making things more ideal um now That's i shouldn't right. say that i yeah, believe that... that 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 because i tried it once that i know everything i don't it's just my it's just what I imagine to be true. And I'm not, i obviously not sure. What are, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, there's a, I have two thoughts. One is um, I'm reminded of a story that uh, was from the journals or the letters of Claude Monet. Monet studied at the Occult des Beaux-Arts in Paris in the 1860s. Mm-hmm. And as a student, you would um, work with isolated parts, casts, plaster casts of a, uh, of a Greco-Roman sculpture. And then you'd work on the full Greco-Roman sculpture as you got better. And then you would eventually be led into the nude um, from life drawing class of which the people posing in the nude were often posing in the same position as the Greco-Roman sculpture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so he his his teacher was Glier, who is one of these forgotten masters that is worth talking about one of these days. And he writes in a letter to his friend, he says, um, so I was in, he said, I was in uh, the life drawing class today with Gliere, and Gleer comes up, and he says, no, 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 no. You're supposed to draw from the antique, not from the life, the antique. And what that meant was that Monet was not supposed to draw what he saw in front of him. He was supposed to look at the figure in front of him and use it as impose on top of it the Greco-Roman cast and idealize the musculature, idealize the form, simplify everything and make that what he drew in front of him. And his teacher was grading him on his ability to look at a form that was in front of him and to simplify it and be, and idealize it in a way that was better than what was in front of him. And Monet says, I went home that night and I took the drawing and I drew 26 moles and I put 26 hairs on every mole. <laughs> in order to be, in order to like stick his thumb in the eye of Gliere, right? And and it's interesting because I think that we, we lionize that attitude of get away from the idealization of the world, but then I don't know how many bad 19th century paintings I've seen done from photographs when the art was new, where you knew that the person paid for their family and friends to have all their individual portraits put into it, but there's no way that the artist could sit with all of them. And so he painted all their bodies. He had, like, stand-ins, and then he had photos, and he did highly detailed um, paintings of every face, no matter where they were in the painting. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the painting looks busy and sloppy. And it's it's not because. It's uh, he's a bad artist in the sense that he couldn't do a good photograph, a copy of the photograph. It's because he actually did the photograph. Right. He didn't idealize anything. He made it all look like (laughs) he didn't he didn't learn how to, like, emphasize and de-emphasize things. Right. Right. And I think that you know, this is where Raphael and the Desenio school has the upper hand, is that the eye, um, your eye, and what you look at on a neurological level, what you see, if you just look at the world around you, about 30% of it is actually what you're seeing, and 70 to 80% of it is invented by your brain, because if you had to process everything you're seeing all the time, it would take up too much brain power too much power is that a fact so your brain invents a lot yeah it's true so your brain invents a lot of things a lot in your peripheral vision a lot of what's in front of you um is invented based on past experience that's where design you and idealization work. so really is that well. why you look good, so you look good at today this, it is why i look fantastic that's just, <laughs> it's not real as i really it's know, not, not real i just, just assumed you would look good the real me would horrify you <laughs> but it's, it's why we look at this form and we don't look at it and immediately think it's an unrealistic pose because hmm. our brain's design part takes over and we immediately think of the pleasing lines and shapes. It's like they found the underlying, co- like these designial perspective found the underlying code. and And they're basing it on what they believe is Greco-Roman simplification of form, beauty, and line too, right? Hmm. So this is where you get these... <laughs> These hardcore people who don't believe in working from photographs, they don't believe in working from life. They believe in drawing an idealized form. They come from the disegno school. This is where I want your the, our viewers to fight, right? I want them to get into camps where there are people who say Raphael's way of doing it is the right way. Damn it, because. Because we don't want to look at real nature, because real nature is not as beautiful or as interesting as the idealized reindeer. The Idealized reindeer is the reindeer that we want to aim for in art, not the crappy um, garbage reindeer (laughs) that just walked in our door, right? Now, move to the painting of the people walking up to the altar, which is Titian, and I'm going to show you a radically different view of life. This is not the most ingenious painting, but I want you to zero... This is a painting of, I think, the Alferini family. It's in the National Gallery in in, um, uh, uh, in London, and it's meant to echo the architecture and, and space of the chapel that it was in. And so if you were in the chapel, it would be physically up in the air about 10 feet, and it would be a continuation of the stone and architecture in the building and it would look like you were looking out into the sky and these people were standing above you, mm-hmm. which is why the perspective is the way it is, why that guy is looking down at you that's in the middle mm-hmm. and why those kids are kind of looking down that are on the on the far left. So it's it's not the best position in the world, but there's a reason I chose it. Go in on that red robe on the left by where those boys are To you know, below where the sleeve dangles down, go farther left and down. Even down farther, go to the bottom of the painting almost. Down under the fur. Yeah, right there. Okay. So do you see that line of that's on the that's right off the fur? It's just a single charcoal looking line.
0: There's a bunch of And you see all the lines? They're all over the place. You got one here, here, here.
1: That's what Titian's draw- That's what drawing looks like.
0: No kidding. This
1: is what we call pediment. We call this pedimenti in in um, in uh, um, in art history. It literally just means where things stand. Um, as oil paint gets thinner over time, sometimes you can see through it to the un- under layers. That's his charcoal drawing of him imagining where that man's foot is, and you can see a lot of lines. That's how sparse his drawing was when he would do something. He would outlay the figure. He would do the figure almost as if he was doing a stick figure. That's the guy's calf that's coming off of that sleeve. Look at that. You can see a little lower. You can see it? A little lower than that. That's that's his calf where he pictures him. Oh, right. right And you can see
0: Oh, this is his his thigh. That's his shin. Thigh and calf. Yep. I didn't even make that out. And then this is the edge of the stair
1: right here. Yep. And that's that's mm. as little as Titian would draw. Now back up. Wow, that is too cool. On the painting. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And and now you look at it and you think, okay, he really did understand. He He built up the paint after that and just drew with the brush as he went along. Raphael would have never done that. Right? Raphael would have never done it. Hmm. So what, what you'd have is you'd have almost like this really basic bamboo infrastructure of a building that Titian would make with charcoal right onto this big canvas. And then he would dig in with his brush and he would draw shapes and build up oil paints over time with color. And that is colore. That is the different approach. And the difference is, His people and his gestures look much more realistic and observational. Well, I was thinking that he looks like a naturalist
0: uh, several hundred years before naturalists showed up.
1: Yeah, and and his his approach doesn't take off in the history of art for the most part, because I think it's harder to teach. For one, it's a lot easier to teach a group of students. um, Let's get your drawing skills down. Right. And then let's add color and let's do this and do, you know, we'll, we'll build it up. Um, and you can judge each stage of it. Titian was truly a genius in his ability to you be one of the first painters of oil. Right. He invents this canvas approach with, which allows him to do. Oh, and by the way, zoom in on that sleeve again. Or maybe this isn't the best example. Let's go to the man on a horse. Okay. The man on the horse is one of his most important commissions. He works for Charles V, who's the king of Spain. This is a huge file. I don't know if you can Uh-oh. zoom in on that armor. Oh, there we go. Or the face. Zoom in on, I mean, this is like 190 megs, gigapixel piece, and come in on his armor and his face.
0: Wow. That armor looks awesome. And
1: this is, this is Titian. Um, You know, this is, Raphael would have never done this ever, Mm-mm. ever in his life, right? Because this is, um, and this is Titian. I think in his sixties. Titian lives to believe, depending on whose birth date you believe, he he didn't really know his birth date, so he claimed it at different times. He either died in his late eighties or he died at the age of ninety-nine. We don't know, but what? he painted for a very, very long time.
0: Wow. And
1: um, and and the great thing about Titian, um, I'll give you another example that's even more. This is. Look at the horse. Look at how real... uh, These were people who paid tons of money for the armor. Ten times the amount they paid for the painting, they paid for the armor. And a hundred times they paid for the horse, right? So he had to get those things right. And in person, this is an enormous painting. This is like 10 feet high by 10 feet wide. Mm. And um, if you want a smaller painting that's maybe more comparable to that Catherine with the wagon wheel of straight across titian versus straight across raphael go to the mary magdalene of the woman who's sitting with her um a little more there you are that one Hmm. titian must have painted 10 or 15 different versions of this go to her hands her hand that's on her chest
0: yeah that's clearly observation
1: yeah And, and look at that hair and look at the, um, and look at how around her fingers, he's got visible strokes of these, these loaded brushes that he's pulling across the canvas. Yeah. Like right here. And allowing the brush. So Titian, this is the definition for many people of colore. Colore is by definition messier. It's observational of life. The draftsmanship in today's terms, it's not they would have said that he was um inaccurate in, in Florence. Raphael <laughs> would have thought he was sloppy.
0: Really? He was sloppy
1: and inaccurate. Just like just like Arnold Freeberg thought that Rockwell was sloppy and inaccurate and picking subpar. Um, models. The Raphael would have hated this painting. He would have said, "What the hell, Titian? Like that's crazy. These figures aren't beautifully lined up. They don't look. Their gestures aren't leading directly to one another in a way that's very carefully chosen. There. He, he would have just. He would have been so embarrassed that this didn't have the perfection, idealization, even in the strokes of that. That." Um, that that sleeve that's got the fur coming out of it mm-hmm. on that figure, or either any one of the figures, Titian reveled in the material looseness of the brushwork. Loved it. I just loved seeing that the texture come out. Raphael hated that stuff, right? I mean, that is the stuff mm. that is is the difference between disegno and Colore. So today when I go into a... um when I go and I won't name names, but sometimes I'll go into these um, these studios that are teaching um, figure drawing, and because the figure drawing is going from um, cast drawings that are taken from idealized statue Greco Roman statue and then going into idealized larger forms and then going to the figure and they're working on line drawings and then they're adding color later. Um, almost every one of them nitpicks paintings and the end results in the way that Raphael would nitpick Titian. Right.
0: Yeah. You but- know what? And I've got to say something earlier, <laughs> earlier you said I would know this because I have a school. The fact the fact is I am absolutely Kalore. In fact, we have 3D scans of real people's heads for casts. Not idealized. Real people's heads, old men, old ladies, different races, just literally 3D scans. That's what we use because I'm totally 100% Kalore. We're about at precision, accuracy.
1: So- so anyone who's using the bark drawings and who loves them, I want you to go and egg Jeff's building now.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm called an atelier, but I do not. I, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm not opposed to what they're doing. I think it's great. I admire them. for You know, it, you know what's, funny about, different, different you know what's funny about that? It's just a different
1: taste. You know what's funny about that? What's funny about that is that there's a great reconciliation that happens in the 19th century or an attempt at it. And that's where you get people like Jerome who he he's he sponsors photography magazines and he sponsors the Varg drawings at the same time Hmm. and then you get people like um uh carolus duran and leon bonat who are teaching at the ecole de beaux arts and they all learned and worshipped ang and de la roche who are designio people but then they become obsessed with velasquez and ribera and velasquez the main patron of Velázquez was also one of the main patrons of Titian. Oh my
0: god. And gosh. so
1: Velázquez comes from velasquez comes and you can see it Velázquez comes from the school of he goes right onto the canvas for most of what he does, right? Mm-hmm. And he and the result of Velázquez is this really raw observational life. He fits directly into the Colore school, right? And the difference between Velazquez and Titian, one of them is that Velazquez, even though he works from the most powerful king on earth, Velazquez doesn't have any of the expensive colors. He's got cheap colors. So he's got a lot of ochres, a lot of bad blues, and Titian has all the best colors. So when you look at Velazquez, it looks earthy and realistic, but Velazquez would have loved to have Titian's palette. He just didn't have access to it, Hmm. right? It would have been way more expensive for him to work. So you kind of like and he's working a hundred he's working like fifty years later than Titian's work, really. I mean, they're about they're they're not really contemporaries, but they're close contemporaries. And Velazquez takes that colore route. Um, I think that if you were to, you know, put this painting, put put the the Mary Magdalene and the and the Catherine with the wheel side by side.
0: I don't know if we're so gonna be able to. That
1: one? And
0: that one?
1: They're not one. Big, And then this one. We don't need him to be perfect. We We can. Okay, good. But, you know, I don't know of any better comparison of Colore versus, uh, or Dizeno versus Colore than this Raphael on the left and this Titian on the right. The Dizeno versus Colore debate is, I think, one that art historians and that artists over time were obsessed with. Goya was a Colore you know mm-hmm. um uh, de la croix colore um rubens colore Velasquez, colore rivera colore you get and i'm i'm mostly in the spanish world so i'm thinking that but you get others you get um you know you 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 get um constable um versus versus uh, his generation constable was considered a country bumpkin turner was considered colore um versus the very careful work of other people. I think, I think it's a really good way to think about how artists put together their work and think about their work in the terms of, you really, if you're observing from life and not inventing entirely, but you're using observable life, and that's part of it. That's the part that mostly gets caught up in the world of art. But if you were to say who leaned in more to the material of oil, was it Titian with Colore or was it Raphael with the And my answer would be that Titian, who is really the forefather of most oil painters in the material use of oil paint,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because he is the one who's using it in the most pure way. By building up with it from the very beginning, whereas Raphael is largely continuing a tempura approach in in, in his art,
0: I agree with that you 100%. Really do, yeah
1: you get a, but but then you think, well, then why today are we still teaching people to draw from the very beginning rather than using oil from the very beginning? And it's because of this tradition of Raphael understood form and composition better than Titian did in his school. And so you study Raphael because arguably, I think, I think this is what it comes down to. As someone who studied the history of how artists are taught, I think it's easier to teach Raphael. I don't want to diminish Raphael because I think Raphael, I, he's amazing. I mean, he really is. He's not necessarily our taste today. But that is a beautiful thing. Oh, it's it's not not about better or worse.
0: That's not the conversation in my mind. It's, you know, let me tell you this. So I've had, I've been teaching for 20 years, 22 years. And when I have a student that can't seem to draw or can't seem to paint well, can't seem to paint precisely, we always, I always give them the assignment, draw it first, transfer the drawing and then paint and then they can handle it and then they do good work it is much more difficult to draw and paint at the same time now i'm not suggesting that everyone in raphael's time that drew first that's the reason they drew first was to because it was easier i'm not suggesting that but i am saying that titian had to be a great draftsman to be able to do what he did and and he did he did
1: and you You've seen the drawings of Raphael. They're good, right? He's great you know, draftsman, too.
0: A I'm, he's a great draftsman, too. Uh, it's just so is Titian.
1: <laughs> I'm going to throw you a curveball. Okay. Near the end of Raphael's life, he did a portrait of the Pope, who was his patron. And um, this portrait, I want you to zoom in on the face after we look at it. This is Raphael near the end of his life.
0: Okay. Look at the look at the face. Wow, it's kind of titianesque.
1: And then hmm. look at the look at the tassels on on the uh, on yeah. your right. It's and like titian. Then look It's like the, and then look at his hands, look at his left hand. What? How about that? I mean, and then look at the brushwork on the look at that hand that's that's resting on the on the uh edge of that chair yeah i mean that's beautifully observational right so what happened it's not what we we remember we well i mean i think that as art historians we like to exaggerate what people are right and we like to just put them in an easy category and say he's all design you he's all about idealization that is what gets carried down through the history of art as he's taught is that they don't talk about this side of Raphael. Raphael's only 37 when he dies, right? He does this in his mid-30s. Who knows if he had lived into his 80s, just like Titian did, right? I mean, who knows where he would have ended up in the end. But the influence of his middle period works, of those simplified shapes, those simplified ovoid faces with the perfect part down the middle, the straight nose with the little dimpled nostrils. That is what has the biggest influence in the history of art more than any other artist. He, he becomes the, the, those things that are from his middle period become the template for almost every piece of art education for the next four centuries. This doesn't. And you look at this and you think, wait, that's not the same guy. So I'm throwing you a curveball at the end because there's a difference between, you know, how we think of our heroes and who our heroes actually are. right? Right. Right. And how we think of how we think of Raphael, Raphael, I, and this is where I wanted to end it is I wanted to say, you know, he wasn't as da as we like to think of him as, right? <laughs> He's not <laughs> as designio. You look at this, and and, and you think, and, and some of the painting of this has thinned, um, and become less, you know, um, um, clear as it would have been during his lifetime. But you can see enough of the painting to really admire him. Oh, uh, well, even when he was idealizing
0: things, it was that, I mean, he's an exceptional painter. You know, I see what you did there. It was like yeah. you It was like you were <coughs> pushing both teams in the soccer game with these little kids playing soccer to just beat the crud out of each other. And at the end, you gave them all a trophy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in a way, I did. Yeah, Yeah, yeah that was good. That I, was good. I do... I mean, when you look at this painting, it's, uh, I mean, what do you think of Raphael?
0: Well, I liked him before. I mean, and you know, I would say this, mm. I want to pull this painting up. I thought this face looked a little more Raphael-esque.
1: It does. And there, a there little are so bit, many different lot, versions a of A it. little
0: bit. But yeah. but And I don't think this one of the Pope looks totally naturalistic either. It's just a little bit more naturalistic. Yeah. It certainly doesn't yeah. cross yeah. over to this level, which feels almost yeah. like 19th century. Well, um, and then you
1: go to that early Titian of Bacchus, and that early Titian of Bacchus, um, that one, almost every one of them is an idealized form, except for those kind of... Grote- that grotesque snake man in the in the foreground, right? I mean, right. That Bacchus isn't. It's not. He's more designio here than he is in almost any of the other paintings we've yeah, seen. Yeah,
0: but still not to the level of uh, this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like it, they're, just, they're they're I,
0: overlapping. They're overlapping in a lot of areas. It's it, it's but not the
1: same. If I were to have everybody who listened to this walk away with an idea that I want them to have. It's that there are real consequences for the materials that you have at your, um, at your disposal. And they lived at a time when these two were able to use oil paints and canvas um, and invent new ways of approaching art that we still live with the consequences of. Right? So Raphael and the Dizeno school, he in the end was able to get with that portrait of the Pope to more of a fluid use of oil painting and a more naturalistic approach. But it's still built on the infrastructure of the temporal line drawing designo mindset of idealized form, color added, and then naturalism imposed on top of that form and line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 Titian is working largely with the mentality of, I want to build up oil and its transparencies and transitions in a way that's observed from nature, and I want to be able to do. I want to be able to use the material as it as it is, as it is fluidly. But it. But he also realized that he needed to idealize things and simplify forms as he did it, and create lines where there aren't lines in nature. Right. And oil doesn't want to be a lion necessarily, but he forces it into lines where he needs where he needs to. So I think that, you know, I don't think that either approach is right or wrong. But I think that you're going to look at your own heroes in your own personal pantheon of artists that you worship. And you may find after this discussion we've had, oh, I, I tend more towards the Dizanio people. And Jeff, you maybe didn't use this language before, but you're probably a little more colore oh, than definitely. some of these
0: people. Yeah. But,
1: and the consequences are, of that are that, you know, it's not whether or not they're better, but no. there is a definite different mindset of how they judge works of art based on, rough, it, are you the Arnold Freeberg looking at that Norman Rockwell, judging it that way, right? Or, and saying... You know, he could have pushed it a little farther and it would have been even better because it's not a it's not the best reindeer, right? Or are you Titian looking at Raphael saying, eh, you know, it's a little it's a little rigid, you know, it's it's not it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like they're 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 coming out and, and relatable and, and 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 lifelike to me. They don't and I don't see in a flicker of candlelight those eyes moving towards me. You know? Mm-hmm. It's it's a real it's that it, they're they're different ways of looking at how a work is put together and the end result based on that philosophy.
0: Hmm. That's a great conclusion. I like that. Hey, thanks again for doing the podcast, Micah. It was brilliant. I think You're it's welcome. one of my favorite it's, it's ones. It's so
1: much fun. I love it.
0: I'm glad. Thanks, buddy. And have a great time in Europe. Tell us where you're going again. I'm going to
1: um, Spain. This is the year of the 100th anniversary of the death of Sorolla. So maybe I can come back and talk about some of that. That'd be amazing. And, uh, then I'm going to go to Italy. I'm going to be in Florence and Bologna and Venice. And yeah. Maybe we can talk about that, too.
0: That'd be awesome. We'll have a safe trip. We'll see you in a few weeks, hopefully.
1: Thanks, buddy.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.